Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. Such an amazing thing that God would love us. Such an amazing thing that God would bring us into relationship with Him. Such an incredible thought that God would know us and love us and call us His sons and daughters. And uh, we, uh, we, we live in a world, however, that it's very hard to stay close to God, isn't it? So many distractions, so many things that uh, we're running after, chasing after, so many things that keep us uh, focused uh, on the, uh, this level instead of focused on God and, and close to Him. And, and not even all the distractions that cause us issues, it's, it's even the, the world we live in, the evil in the world, the, the brokenness, the temptations all around us. So many ways we can be pulled away from God and pl- pulled farther into the world and even into sin and evil. How do we, how do we stay close to God? How, how do we stay near to God? How do we stay right with God in such a world of so many distractions and so many, so many sins and so many, so many evil paths to walk? Um, it, it's, it's a deep question. We come to a scripture today uh, in the Gospel of Mark where, where Jesus has to address this. And, and he, he addresses it through being attacked and being called out as someone who's not bringing people to God. And so it's, a, it's a, a scripture that's hard to maybe wrap our minds around in some ways, but let me walk you through it and let's think about again, how do we draw near to God? Are, are, you, are you close to God today? Are you walking with God today? Is God in your life today? How's your heart? Do you have a heart for God? Are, are, you, are you walking closer to Him? Or are you far away from Him today? How do, you, how do you stay with God? How do you be in God's life? And how do you need, be near to Him? Please open your, your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark, we're in chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 1. We've got about uh, five more, six more weeks in the Gospel of Mark. And so thank you for your continued uh, study of Mark and, and learning from Mark. And hopefully you're growing and maturing through God's Word. Chapter, chapter 7, verse 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him, some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled. That's unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they had come from the marketplace, they, they don't eat unless they, they wash. There are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups, pots, copper vessels, and dining couches. (laughs) The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? He said to them, "Well, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must, be, must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. And you do many such things. And, and he called the people to him again. He called the crowds to him again, and he, he wanted them to know something. He, he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. We had entered the house and left the people. His disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not into his heart, but is into his stomach and is expelled? 
Mark wants us to know, thus he declared all foods clean. Verse 20, and he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. <clears throat> kind of a long text, isn't it? Kind of a deep set of scriptures here. What, what, what's he getting at? What's going on here? Uh, Jesus is approached again by the Pharisees. If you were with us a few months ago, the Pharisees came down from Jerusalem to Galilee and they started studying him and watching him and judging him and evaluating him. They came down from the high and holy mountain of Jerusalem. They put him under the microscope and, and they're doing it again. They've come, they, they've heard of his, his power. They've heard of his healings. They've heard of how he's uh, supposedly setting people free, casting out demons, delivering people from sickness, and delivering people from evil, delivering people from even death. They're hearing of him doing miracles, walking on water, and they're just, they, they, they come as the holy ones. They come as the judges. They come as the stewards of Israel and their traditions, and they stand in judgment on him. And so they're watching, they're observing, and, and what do they see? The most horrible thing you could ever imagine. His disciples aren't washing their hands before they eat. <laughs> uh, I'm sure your kids might have gotten in trouble sometimes by not washing their hands before they ate, before a meal. But that, that, it, they're, not, they're not talking about hygiene here. Okay? Immediately when we think of cleanliness, we think of hygiene. Like, you've got to be clean, get rid of all the germs. That's not what they're talking about. See, in the Old Testament, um, there's this, these standards of cleanliness, uncleanliness, Purity and impurity. And, and really, it came from this, this whole, this whole uh, reality that God, heavenly, the Heavenly Father, the Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, He descended to earth and He lived with Israel. He lived with the people of Israel. He lived with the nation that, that He pulled out of Egypt for Himself. Uh, he called to Himself. But how, do, how does a holy God live with an unholy people like, like me? How, how does a holy God come and dwell in someone like me and you? And so in the Old Testament, uh, God gave a bunch of standards. Uh, he, as the people were living in the world, and they, they were living in the presence of a holy God, He told them how He wanted them to live. He told them how to be pure in His presence. And, and to Israel, the Old Covenant is for Israel, um, He said, this is how I want you to live in My presence. As I dwell in the tabernacle, and later as the temple is built, as I dwell in the temple. Here's some rules and regulations how I want you to live. And, and so uh, what, what it all meant was to be holy, to be pure, to be clean in the presence of God means you are fit for worship, entering into his presence. And, and so it, it didn't mean that you, uh, didn't mean necessarily that you sinned because, right, leprosy what made you unclean. Um, a, a bunch of things could make you unclean that you didn't necessarily choose. Uh, sometimes you did choose to to live in a certain way that made you unclean or impure. But, but that's the background of it. And, and, and the, the Pharisees and the scribes are saying to Jesus, <clears throat> we've observed that you haven't observed our traditions. We've observed that you haven't kept the rules that the elders of Israel have passed down. For our tradition says that before you eat anything, before you put anything into your mouth, you must observe some ritual cleansing. And there's a whole bunch of rules along those lines that the elders of Israel made up. And they accuse him, basically, of setting the people, setting his disciples apart from God because they're saying, how is it that your disciples don't wash first? How is it that you are separating them from God? Because the implication is, if they're not washing according to the ceremonial practices of the elders, that they're distancing themselves from God. They're sinning against God. They're not making themselves ready to enter the presence of Yahweh. And so they, they hold them to this standard, and, they, and they're standing back and say, you're, so, you're, so, you're some rabbi teaching your disciples to sin. You're some rabbi keeping disciples 
your disciples from God? And, and again, it's not about a hygiene thing. It's, it's a holiness question that they have. Did you notice what their standard was? The traditions of Israel. The oral law, in other words. Uh, God gave the, the written law to Moses, the old covenant. The Mosaic law was given to Moses. Mount Sinai, you remember that back in Exodus 19 and 20 and thereabouts. How God met with Moses. Moses was up on the mountain. Moses came and the Ten Commandments were given and the law was given. Uh, there's a tradition that the Pharisees held to that during that time, God not only gave a written law, but he gave an oral law, an unwritten law. And, and the idea was, the belief was, is that the Mosaic law, the written law, it told people what to do. God wants you to do this. But there was all kinds of questions, well, in certain places, how do I keep the law? How do I observe the law? How do I obey? In the different settings that Israel found themselves in, uh, there, there was, so on, on the part of the, the Pharisees and the part of the scribes originally, they, 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 there was a tradition that said it came from God, but really what happened was over the centuries, the elders tried to help people obey the law. The traditions that they came up with helped, tried to help them stay close to God and walk with God. They tried to help. But as time went on, the traditions became hardened. They became, they became on, on the level of God's law. They, they were lifted up on the same level or even above God's commandments. And so Jesus, Jesus at, responds to the question, why do you let your disciples eat without ceremonial cleanliness? And, and, and Jesus' answer is, well, he's got several answers, and this is where the depth of the passage comes in. Uh, if you look at verse 6. <clears throat> he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. He calls out the Pharisees, he calls out the scribes, and he says, you guys, you're calling me out and saying I'm, I'm not worshiping God, right? You're, you're calling me out and saying that I'm, I'm calling, causing my people to sin? Think about what you're doing. You're pretending to worship God. You're playing a role of, of, of a worshiper, but I know that you're not worshiping God because you could give a rip about His commands. You could care less about the commandment of God. You could care, care less about loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's not what you're about. Isaiah, back in the day, uh, to the kings of Israel, they were going through religious motions. They were pretending to worship God. They were pretending that they went to the temple, they worshipped. They, did, they, did, they went through the motions of, of singing. They went through the motions of giving their offerings. But they didn't love God. They wanted to be seen by people. They wanted to, to be applauded by people for their good. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount how, how Jesus walked the crowd through the Pharisees' hypocrisy. Man, when, when, they, when they give to the poor, they, they do it on street corners so they can be seen. Even with trumpets, they announce their giving. And when they pray, they want everybody to see them praying. The hypocrites, they, they want everyone's attention. And, and when they fast, they, they, they make their face feel seem so so contorted and so, oh, I'm in such pain. Look at how pious and holy I am. Aren't you guys excited for me that I'm such a lover of God? They would uh, take these phylacteries, these boxes that had scripture written in them, and there was a tradition of putting it on your forehead, and, but they'd make the boxes really wide. <laughs> or putting it on your doorpost, make the scriptures really big, or the tassels on the end of your garments. Make them really flowery and really important. And he says, I know that you don't love God. I know that you're not a devotee of God. I know you're not worshiping God because you've set aside his commandments. You've exchanged the commands of God. You've exchanged the very words of God for your tradition. Um, you just want to be exalted. You just want to be 
applauded for your holiness, a holiness that you've, a standard that you've created for yourself. And then you expect everyone else to follow it? I'm not having it. In verse 8, uh, the summary of his first answer. You leave the command of God, and, and the commandment of God, the, the, the Shema in, in the Old Testament, uh, Deuteronomy 6.4 and, and 6.5. Hear, o, o Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. The commandment, you've left that commandment, and you hold to the tradition of men. You've lifted up the, 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 the doctrines of men, re replaced the doctrines of God with the doctrines of men, the teachings of men. Uh, you see, their, 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 motive, their, their thinking was that you get close to God by following our rules. You can get close to God. You can be reconciled to God. You can draw near to God if you follow what we teach you. And Jesus says, what about God's word? What about God's commandment? What, what about God's call to, to worship Him and follow His will and obey His will. Actually, he says it three times here in verse 8. You leave the commandment of God to hold to your tradition of men. In verse 9, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. And in verse 13, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. You do many such things. See, the, the oral law over the years, over the centuries, hundreds and hundreds of legalistic standards that were not part of the original Bible, not part of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. Uh, it was like, it was like the, there was the, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and then they started building this whole, this whole fence around it. Like, we've got to help people do the law. We've got to help people keep the law. So we're going to put this, like, you shall observe, observe the Sabbath, and there's dozens and dozens of, of extra-biblical teachings, right? extra-biblical laws that are given to Israel about Sabbath observance and how you do it right and how you shouldn't do it, etc., etc. And it, it, it became, in the second century, it was written down in the Mishnah. And eventually it became part of the, the Talmud, uh, the, the Israel holy books, uh, Jewish holy books. And it was this, this, this beyond the scriptures. And Jesus is like, man, you're, you're saying that uh, that people get right with God or they're made clean by God by following man-made rules? No. No. That's not how it works. That's not how it happens. And, and so that's his first answer. Uh, he, he, he says, you, the way that God has arranged things, he's given us his word. He's given us his commandments. And, and you guys tell me that, that people draw near to God by, by human rules and by religion, by man-made religion? No. And so we, we can step back from this, his first answer, and there are several things we can say. What, what is worship? Worship is ascribing worth to him as worthy. Worship is a devotion to God. Worship is an honoring of God. Uh, 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 obeying His commandments, seeking out His commandments, seeking out His will, loving Him. Idolatry is worshiping something else. I, uh, false worship is worshiping, could be a truck, it could be religious rules that don't come from the Bible, it could be worshiping a church, it, it, it could be worshiping self. Idolatry is anything that ascribes worth to something that is not God. Living for that, loving that, pursuing that. Man, you can make an idol out of your kids. You can make an idol out of your kid's soccer trophy. Back in 1999, my kid, man, he was the most awesome third grade soccer, soccer player you've ever seen. Look at this trophy. Man, bow down and worship. Idolatry. Jesus here is calling out false worship. And hypocrisy. Man, it, there, there is something here about our tendency to want to be liked and want to be accepted and want to be loved by others. And so even in settings like this, sometimes we can put on airs and we can pretend to be something we're not. We, 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 we could put ourselves in position to be, uh, man, that John, he really loves God. I saw him raise his hand seven times in the worship service. A perfect number. He must really love God. I, it's obvious. 
But tradition, we, we need to talk, one of the applications here for us is tradition. Uh, tradition can be very dangerous. Traditions that arise from churches or leaders or, or certain denominations can be very dangerous. Uh, tradition is almost impossible for us to not have a part of our life. I, I guarantee you, in your family of origin, you had traditions. In your current family, you're maybe developing traditions today. In every church, whether it's Roman Catholic or whether it's Protestant, uh, Greek Orthodox or Russian Orthodox, or, or wherever you go around the world, you're going to find traditions. The question is, do traditions help us worship God? Do traditions uh, help us fulfill the Word of God? Do traditions lead us to obey the Word of God? Or are they lifted up to something that's opposing the Word of God or supplement, you know, taking the Word of God's place? Uh, let's talk about tradition a little bit. Uh, for about, uh, let's see, I think it was back in 2000, uh, 2006, we, we started a tradition of having worship, I think, at 9 and 1045. <laughs> when we had to go to two services back in the old building, we started a tradition of having services at 9 and 10.45. And we moved to this building. We went to one service for a while, but then we grew again. We went back to our tradition of 9 and 10.45. Now, if we ever tried to change those times, do you think some people would be upset? Maybe because we have a tradition. We've always met at 9 o'clock. But what if, what if the, uh, the major employer in, in our valley, they, they started requiring people to work at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings? Or maybe all, all the employers in the valley said, man, everybody has to work at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Would it be wrong of us to change our worship time? Absolutely not. Because the, the principle, the command is worship. The principle of the command is to gather in the name of God, to not forsake worship, to not forsake coming into... But how you do that, if you make that an ironclad rule, that's legalism. That's a tradition that you raise up into something that God never intended. It's fine to worship at 9 and 10.45, but can you do it at 6 p.m.? Absolutely. Can you have a worship service at 3 p.m.? Absolutely. If this town ever gets to, or this valley ever gets to the point where, where 3 p.m. is the time where most people can worship, let's worship at 3 p.m., even during football season. <laughs> and so, so you see how tradition, I mean, there, there's so many things we could talk about, about tradition in this church. We've got all kinds of traditions, but none of them are on the level of the Word of God. None of them are on the level of God's commandments. Our traditions always have to serve God's commandments. Our traditions always have to serve us worshiping God. If, if our traditions become more important than the Word of God, we're in trouble. If your tradition, like, like we have a Christmas Eve service. That's a tradition. We've always done a Christmas Eve service. Would it be the end of the world if we stopped having a Christmas Eve service one? Yeah, it probably would. No, no, it's, it's not. Are, are we worshiping God? Are we glorifying God is, is the point. So our traditions, man, they can be great. They can be helpful. We, we need traditions. We need, we need some, some regular ways of doing things because we're, we, 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 we just like that rhythm and that, that continuity. And it's helpful to, to answer the same questions in a certain way every time. But man, if we're raising it up to something that's sacred, it's not. The Word of God. Go to the Word. What does the Word say? If we want to honor God, we want to worship God, we want to obey His commandments. If we want to honor God for worshipers of God, we're going to listen to Him and do His will, not our, not our extra-biblical ideas or wants or extra-biblical desires. So Jesus answers that. The first answer that He has to these people is, man, you guys are saying, why, why do I not let my disciples, why do I not enforce the idea that they have to do a, a, a ceremonial cleansing ritual before eating? Because that's not part of the Word of God. You see, the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, the only time it's commanded in the Bible, in the Old Testament, for a washing was when the, the priests 
would enter the tabernacle. They were told to wash their hands and their feet. The Pharisees borrowed that commandment and they, they expanded it. Man, everybody in Israel should wash. Everybody should do that. And, and so Jesus said, no, you guys are, are going beyond the scriptures. Go back to the Word and see what the Word says. That's how you stay close to God, is walk with God in His commandments. But then he, then he expands it. And, and again, there's, there's a lot of depth here. Uh, well, well, I should say, I should point out his example before I get too far. Let me point out, point out how, how he gives an example here. Verse 10, For Moses said, Honor your father and mother. The, one of the Ten Commandments, right? Honor your father and mother. That's clear. God gave the commandment, Honor father and mother. And as an extension of that, Whoever reviles father and mother must be put, put to death. They must surely die. And that's an old, old covenant uh, man, a, a civil law, a, a law there that's pretty, pretty intense. But you say, he's talking to the Pharisees and the scribes, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Here's what would happen. Okay? Uh, the, the, the Pharisees and scribes, the tradition of the elders, the oral law, Remember Paul in, in, in Galatians and different places? Man, as far as legalistic righteousness, I was spotless. He's talking about the oral law, the traditions of the elders. He was so, the Apostle Paul was so passionate about following Yahweh through the traditions of the elders. But, but th this is one of the deals that they would say. It's like, in our law, we say this. In our tradition, we say this. If you as a zealot, if you as a passionate worshiper of Yahweh, as you, you as a good Jew, if you want to do this, if you want to make God great in your sight, you could give, dedicate your, your, all your money, all your possessions to God. It's kind of like a deferred giving. You know, when you die, all your property will be given to God, all your money will be given to God, all your possessions will be given to God. Man, if you do that, you're awesome. Um, but what about taking care of your parents? What about taking care of your family? What about taking care of your responsibilities? Ah, uh, that, that's, that's secondary. Uh, God commanded you to honor mother and father, to take care of them, basically. To, to, if they get in trouble, who's going to take care of them? There was no social network back then in terms of a, uh, a government-sponsored social security or anything like that. It wasn't a safety net. Kids took care of their parents, and grandchildren took care of their grandparents, etc., etc., but what was happening was like, yeah, you could say the word Corbin. I'm giving it as an offering to God. Corbin. There's even a Corbin University out in Salem, Oregon. They borrowed the name, an offering to God. But what the people would do, like some of the kids would say, well, um, I don't really like my parents. I don't really care for my parents, and so rather than them having my money or having my possessions or me having a responsibility to take care of them, I'm going to say Corbin. And the wild thing is they could keep using the money. They could keep using their possessions until they die. And so it wasn't so much about worshiping God, Jesus is saying. These laws, these extra-biblical laws, they can be twisted by the wickedness of the human heart and used for terrible intent. No, my, my parents... Corbin, you don't get what I have. You don't deserve it. Or whatever was going on in the family. And Jesus says, oh, that's so twisted. Because then the Pharisees would say, the, the scribes would say, they, they would say to the people that made the vow, like maybe five years later, uh, yeah, I've changed my mind. I, you know, my mom is a widow now and, and she's having a hard time getting food. I, I want to give some of the, the possessions I promised to God or money I promised to God to my mom. The Pharisees would say, nope. You made a vow to God. You can't give that to your parents any longer. <laughs> and they're like, what? Yeah. Our, our law is more important than the fifth commandment. And Jesus is saying, do you see how twisted that is? You do this in so many ways. Your external law, your man-made law, your extra-biblical law, your tradition has put the Word of God on a lower level. You deny God's commandment to keep your religion and it's an ugly moment because God wants the children to take care of the parents. And to say that you can't do that because you made some vow according to an extra-biblical teaching, a tradition, shame on you. 
And so he's, his first answer is, nope, uh, that's, that, that's, that's not how you get right with God. By washing your hands in a ceremony, you're, you're, you're rejecting God's word. So it's hypocrisy and it's false worship and I'm not going there. Neither should you. But then he, the, second, the second way he answers the question is found in verse 14. He, he wants to make sure that they understand about the human heart. He wants to make sure uh, they understand where sin comes from and what is sin and the problem of sin. And so he called together, verse 14, the people and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that's, that, that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And, and again in um, verse 18, and he said to them, then are you also without understanding? He's given the disciples a hard time because they, they just don't get it yet. They're a little bit slow. Do you not see what, whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? Since it enters into his heart, not into his heart, but into the stomach. What, in other words, food and, and impurity, what do they have in common? Food and, and uh, unrighteousness, what do they have in common? They don't have a whole lot in common. Now, uh, maybe, maybe some of you know your Bibles and you've actually read Leviticus 11 before. There's a whole list of unclean foods, unclean animals that you're not supposed to eat in Leviticus 11. It's rather interesting to see what you're not supposed to eat there and what you can eat. Again, it was part of the cleanliness laws, a part of the holiness laws. And I, I think a lot of it was a part of the context of where Israel was going into the promised land. God wanted to differentiate His people from the common, the norm. He wanted to set them apart as holy. And so the, and there's a lot, lot too there in Leviticus 11. But basically you can't eat certain foods. But Jesus is saying right here, the lawgiver, the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who would make people pure through His blood, He's saying, man, don't, don't go there in terms of legalism. Uh, the, the, the Pharisees were saying, man, our view of sin is this. We're basically righteous. We're basically holy people. But in this world, things come and defile us. The things we see defile us. Or the people we hang out with defile us. Or, or maybe the movies we watch defile us. And so you don't go and hang out with certain people. You don't go and hang out with certain people that do certain things. You keep away from them. In, in their world, they would keep away from the Gentiles, the sinners, the pagans. If you're a righteous Pharisee, man, you never eat with a pagan. You never eat with a Gentile. They were so frustrated by Jesus because he was always eating with sinners. He was always eating, eating with the people that were unclean. Jesus even touched dead bodies. He touched a leper. A menstruating woman came and touched him. Yikes! Right? In the Old Testament, there's uncleanliness there. And they just, they're driven nuts by his, his lack of concern about uncleanliness. And he says it this way, man, don't think about the things you eat at the market, the things you buy at the market, that that's going to make you unclean. You know what the real problem of sin is? It doesn't come from the outside. You're not a righteous person that's suddenly tainted or made impure by the things you touch or the people you hang out with or the movies that you necessarily go see. Those things can mess with your mind, don't get me wrong. But you're not like unclean. Suddenly, he says, what's really the problem of sin, it's in your heart. There's, there's an inward problem. Man, I, you want me to stop, I mean, you, you want me to take the, the oral law and, and enforce it upon people, my disciples or the wider crowd? Man, that, that you think by religious rules you're made clean? That you're made right with God by, by being a religious robot and doing everything perfectly? No, that, that's not the problem. You're not righteous and then you're tainted and you're made unclean or unholy. You're unholy because of the wickedness in your heart. You're in holiness, you're unholy because of the sin in your heart. The evil in your heart. And the heart for the Jewish people. Sometimes you see in the, in the Bible, it translates kidneys. <laughs> the part in your, in your body is, is they, you know, from, a, a, from their... their personal point of view or their, their traditional point of view, they saw the heart as the personality center, the, the decision-making center, the will. Your will comes from the heart. And we even use some of that terminology, some of that, that, uh, that analogy today in our language. Man, he's got great heart. Man, her heart is strong. We borrow that from the scriptures and, and the Jewish people. 
of the heart is the decision-making place, the personality place. And so he's saying, you know what the real problem is? You, you can't control you know, being close to God or far away from God by external religious rules. The real issue is in your heart. You know, you can eat things and it's not going <laughs> to contaminate you. Now, we, we, in our health society, obviously, you know, if I, if I eat Burger King every day for two months, I'm going to be contaminated. We get that, but that's not, that's not, that's not his point. Hygiene or, or cholesterol or something like that. He's saying your real issue is, is you. You're a sinner, a rebel who's always rebelling against God. <clears throat> he says, look at, look, at, look at your heart. Maybe, uh, you know, our terminology, maybe you need a heart transplant. So many, so many places in the Bible talk about, I need a pure heart, I need a clean heart, I need a right heart. I, I need to get things in order internally. And we do. He even gives us a list here of the things that come from within. Uh, back in Matthew, you remember, how do you, how do you tell a false prophet? How do you tell someone that's far away from God? Well, you judge them by their fruit. You know, like, you, you wouldn't say that grapes come from a thorn bush, would you? You wouldn't say that apples come from a pear tree, would you? Of course not. You, you know what somebody is by their fruit. And so we, he says this list here in verse 21, for, from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, thefts, murders, uh, uh, from the heart comes adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. From the heart, from who you are inside, comes out these things. And, and uh, the Pharisees' concept of sin is dramatically different from the, the concept, biblical concept of sin and Jesus' concept of sin. We in this culture even sometimes think that we're generally pure, or babies are born pure or something, and they're not born with a sinful nature. Um, we, 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 we get shocked when people sin or when they do evil, like, I thought she was so pure. Or the biblical concept looks at us as fallen. Sinners. So, so the issue that Jesus says, man, you want me to start taking external religion and trying to change people from the outside in? That's not how it works. We're changed from the inside out. Something needs to happen on the inside. Something needs to be transformed on the inside. Something needs to be made new on the inside. That's the issue. You don't get right by religion, outward religion. You don't, you're not made right by the things you do, uh, man-made rules. But interestingly enough, he doesn't, he doesn't describe how to get right. How are you today? How is your heart today? Are you close to God today? How do you get right with God? How do you draw near to God? Well, we start by realizing and recognizing and acknowledging that we don't do it by ourselves. It's by the grace of God that we're changed. Just as, uh, if you look at Jeremiah chapter 17, 9, Jeremiah 17.9, a famous verse. The biblical understanding of things is this, and this is, Jesus is borrowing from this and from other texts. He's the one who wrote it. He's the God who inspired the Spirit worked. And, but anyway, chapter 17, verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, verse 10, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Uh, biblically, Old Testament, New Testament, the problems we have, the evil we do, the things that, that we, we're broken, it comes from the inside. The heart is deceitfully wicked. Uh, I, I was reading different psalms, and this one caught my attention pertaining to this. How do we get... How do we, how do we get accepted by God? How do we, how do we be received by God? How, how do we come into good graces of God? Look at Psalm 24. 
Psalm 24, verse 3. Psalm 24, verse 3. And this is indicative of a wide array of teaching in the Old Testament. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Psalm 24, verse 3. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in His holy place? What a question. Who gets to go to heaven? Who gets to be with God? Who gets to be in that righteous place one day where God is righteous in the holy, holy, holy? Verse 4. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, idolatry, false gods, worshiping what's false, does not swear deceitfully. Oh, wow, that's... It's incredible. He will receive blessings from the Lord and is righteous from the God of his salvation. Great. If you want to be with God, if you want to be right with God, Psalm 24 says, have a clean heart. Clean hands, a pure heart and clean hands. Like dirty hands, there's, there's guilt on dirty hands. Shed blood on dirty hands. Dirty hands is a metaphor of, man, you've sinned, you've done evil. So the, the, the starting off point of Psalm 20, 24 there is, well, uh, who wants to be with God? We've got to have a clean heart. Okay. That takes me out of the equation. In and of myself, I don't have a clean heart. None of us do. In and of ourselves, none of us have clean hands. In and of ourselves, what do we do? How, how do we get right with God? Somehow God has to make us right. Because we can't do it ourselves. If wickedness comes from within, and, and I'm always choosing wickedness, and I'm, I'm always running away from God, or rebelling against God, or hating God, or doing what's evil, man, something has to change, and I can't change myself. Jesus has basically said, external religion can't fix you. You can go to Mass so many times. You can go to the Temple so many times. You can go to church so many times. You can do all these things. You, you can all have all these rigmaroles and all these disciplined acts of religion. It's not going to change you until you're changed on the inside. Until God does a work. Uh, Psalm 51. We see the heart of, of King David here. After he committed adultery with Bathsheba, after he uh, had done so many evil things. You remember the guy that had a heart after God, who worshipped God, who wanted to be holy? Uh, well, he, he sinned greatly. Broke a bunch of the Ten Commandments. He says in his prayer, Psalm 51, starting in verse 1, here's a key to be becoming holy, becoming right with God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and inward, in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Man, uh, you can do all the religion you want. <laughs> you can make all the pilgrimages you want. You can do all the... The, the certain prayers or things you want, but until you come and humbly ask God to change you from the inside out, until you confess you're a sinner in need of grace, until you confess you need a new heart, until you confess that you need to be transformed by God and God alone, you're going to be stuck far from God because you can't fix yourself. You can't heal yourself. You can't change that inward nature yourself. You need God to do it. So we see this beautiful prayer of David. I've sinned against you, man. I, I, I acknowledge it. You've seen it all. And I confess. Change me. Clean me. Give me a new heart, God. And, and we, we come to the, the New Testament. And we see the story of Jesus coming from heaven to earth. From heaven to earth to the cross. It's an incredible thing. What, what, what was he doing? What was he accomplishing? What was he trying to, to work out? What, what was the mission about? Why did he have to go shed his blood on the cross? And what do we do with it? Romans 
You look at the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God knew our heart. God knows our heart. He knows that we're wicked. He knows that we've, we're constantly choosing evil. Even the times that we want to choose God, even the times we want to walk with God, even the times we want to be holy, we want to be good people. He knows that internally sin is a problem and wickedness and evil is a problem. And so God set upon a mission of redemption. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It says right here, God showed His love for us. Even though He's holy, 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 He showed His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What an incredible thing. Chapter 6, verse 23. The reality of our sinfulness, the reality of our wickedness is this. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We deserve death for our wickedness. We deserve death, God's punishment, God's wrath for our evil. There's something within us that we can't change in and of ourselves. But God died for us, shed His blood for us, so that we could be forgiven of our sins. The wages of sin is death, but the gift, the free gift of God for whoever asks God to change their life, whoever asks God to change their heart, whoever asks God to save them, to forgive them, free gift of God is He does it. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Romans 3.22 What is this gift? What, what is it about? What, what is He talking about? Romans chapter 3, verse 22. The gift is the righteousness of God. We are not righteous in and of ourselves. We're not good to go with God. We're not close to God in ourselves. But the righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The, 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 a righteous standing, a righteous, a righteous position with God, a, a holiness, it comes from God. It can, be, it can become part of your life. If you trust in Jesus by faith, you can be declared righteous in the sight of God right now by trusting in Jesus as your sin bearer, the one who died in your place and took the punishment for your sins on the cross. Your unrighteousness exchanged for His righteousness. Your impurity exchanged for His purity. The gift of God is for anybody who trusts in Jesus Christ. They receive a righteousness from God that makes them right before God. Religion, religion outside human religion doesn't get you anywhere. But you can receive the gift of God, the grace of God, by trusting in Jesus Christ. It says there in verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because we all have deceitful hearts, wicked hearts. We've all sinned. They are justified, however, by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, through His work on the cross, we are re redeemed, reconciled to God, who put, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. So you see the point. How do I get right with God? How do I draw near to God? How do I, how do, how do I have a relationship with God? It starts with you saying, I can't in and of myself. Only God can give me that relationship. Only God can draw me near. And it only comes by trusting in Jesus Christ what He accomplished for you by shedding His blood on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins to justify you and make you righteous in His sight. And then once you come to God, and once you have a relationship with God, then, then you can work on it and participate in it. But you always are close through there. So, so Jesus, you want me to start living as a religionist? You want me to start teaching that people should get right with God by Human rules and regulations? Absolutely not. That sets aside God's commandments. And absolutely not, because the only way to get close to God, for me to bring people to God, is through them trusting in my work on the cross. The grace of God. For whoever wants it.
please don't think that you're trusting in religion. Your trust in religion or works will get you to heaven or make you right with God. Only trust in Jesus and you will be given that clean heart, that new heart, that righteousness from God and you'll be right with Him forever. Please stand in His presence. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for letting us worship you today. We thank you for letting us draw near today as your people. Thank you for calling together a community to meet with you. What a privilege and honor it is to meet with a holy God and be in your presence and, and love you. Send us out in the world this week, Lord. We're we go, going out to the world that is not perfect, <laughs> that has its issues and problems. We're going out even in unholy places. But thank you for making us yours. You've accepted us. You've received us. You've made us yours by your blood and your sacrifice and your love only. And we say, Amen. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Uh, make us your people of worship and praise this week. As we go hither and yon, <laughs> as we go out to our families and, and, and our places of work, and wherever you take us, Lord, let us worship you and witness to you the spirit of truth and love and holiness. Love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God, by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.